Do you remember the first time that your child told you that they loved you? That those words that you just that you just relish and never forget when a child looks up into his daddy and mummy's face and says, I love you. I love you, daddy. I love you, mommy. I've just been kind of moved by that thought as Ryan and the team were singing. When's the last time you've expressed your love to Jesus? Just openly expressed your love to Jesus. You know what I thought? We have to do it right now. Do you love him? Would you be willing just to verbally express that right now? I love you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the gift of your life in mine. I have chills running up and down my spine. There's no greater thing in the face of this earth than a human heart that is drawn by the Spirit of God to be absolutely dropped dead in love with Jesus. It's not something you can contrive. It's not something you can, you know, make happen, right? You can't fake it. You know, if I would come up to Sue and say, honey, uh, like last Valentine's, honey, um, you know, I've been told by people I should give you a rose and I should tell you that I love you. <laughs> How meaningful would that be? But that's... <laughs> yeah, we know the answer to that, Yes. But it, it's, it's, that, it's that moved heart by the Holy Spirit to just express to Jesus your love to him. Because, why? Because one John tells us we love him because he first loved us. First loved us. Yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. Sacrifice. Giving of oneself. No greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friend. No greater love than this. We express the love of Jesus Christ as we lay our life down for each other as a family. Every single one of us knows what it is to be selfish, to live our life for ourselves. We all know that. Every, amen? Every one of us. But to lay our life down for another because Jesus laid his life down for us is a, an expression of that love working out in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Just moved by God, I think, just as a family, just to express it. Don't let it leave it here. Go live your life expressing that love in the world. You know, it's the number one thing every single human being is looking for. Every single human being is looking for authentic, real love. Everyone. And if you live that out authentically, people will be drawn. I won't tell you the name, but I was in New Beginnings recently. And there was, a, there was a, somebody I know was sitting at the table with a, with a person that I know is not a believer. 
And uh, as we were sitting there eating, I was listening to their conversation. Not like I was, you know, eavesdropping. You know, I didn't like put a bug on them or something like that. But I just, I just heard them, this person telling their friend about this Jesus that they love. And I almost started crying. Here we are in this restaurant, and this person's fighting for his friend, telling him about Jesus. Wow. Wow. Let's pray as we get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We only desire one thing, only one thing, that we hear your heart that we hear your heart for us, that we hear that your heart desires an intimate relationship with you, that we hear that your heart moves us into the life purpose that you have for each one of us because Paul believed that before the foundations of the earth were created, he was called. And so, Father, we just, we just come and we desire to hear your heart. We're walking with you to the cross and the grave and the open grave. We want to know what's important to you. We want to, we want to know what you want us to, because every single one of us has been called to carry our cross in this life. Every one of us knows that we're walking to a grave and you have promised us in this word that that grave will open up. And that there is a life that goes on for all eternity in you. And so, Lord, we want your heart to walk in this life. And so we give you the praise and the glory for this. And we, we trust you for this moment that you will speak to us even individually in each of our hearts, because you so loved us. Thank you for that. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Turn with me uh, to the book of Luke, to the 18th chapter. We're going to end up reading uh, only a few verses of verse 15 through 17. If you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand and Bob will get a Bible to you. And um, because we just, we think it's important that we become good Bereans, that we open up the Word of God, that we read it together, and uh, that you keep uh, your pastor accountable to, um, to the Word of God. And so, um, Luke chapter 18, I got one up front here, Bob, right up here. So, open up God's Word, excited about that. As you get there, uh, contextually, um, it's, <clears throat> this is a very interesting time in Jesus' life. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, uh, he in, in, in chapter 17, the 20th verse, he is being asked by the Pharisees, okay? Um, <laughs> um, I, I heard a pre preacher once said that every time I say the name Pharisee, everybody go, <laughs> these religious people who tried to build their own construct of religion. And so when I say that he was asked by the Pharisees a question, you know immediately they're not asking to learn and to grow. They're asking to trap Jesus. 
right? I mean, you ever done that? Where you ask somebody a question where they are and, and try to prove that they're wrong? Don't leave me up here. I'm not the only one in the room that's done that, but, I, I, but that is something that we do. And that is, these guys were pros at it. In fact, when you hear the word expert in the law, they were expert in undermining other people with the law. They didn't care about what the law of God was trying to lead us toward. They wanted to, to undermine what was happening. So there was a question, and the question was uh, in the 20th uh, chapter that when would the kingdom of God come? And so um, in, in those verses following, you hear Jesus giving kind of a picture of what to look for uh, as, as, um, as the kingdom is coming and, and how people will be unexpected and there will be people that will not be ready. In fact, Paul said this, you know, um, wake up for the time of your salvation is nearer now than what it was before. Put off the armor of darkness, and put on the armor of light, for the time is near. And if Paul said that 2,000 years ago, don't you think we ought to be thinking the same way? But then it's interesting. Uh, the question kind of turns a little bit toward uh, not just when, but then the attitude, what Jesus leads them to is who is going to be in the kingdom of God? Who is going to be in and just like a good teacher in the day, he first says, who's not? And that's where the um, parable of the persistent, or excuse me, um, yeah, so, so okay, that's where the parable of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector comes in. And the fact of the one standing up front who believes in his own self-righteousness and the other who is so... Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, right? That's what we sang. The one who was so humble that he wouldn't even look up. And so Jesus begins to say, I tell you who's not going to be in there. And that should have hit them, right? In fact, he says these words, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so that leads us in uh, to these verses and, uh, and leads us into something then providentially happens that the Father sets up this moment as he's teaching and all of a sudden what happens? Well, let's find out. Verse 15, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who has not received the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Never enter it. So why are children inheritors of the kingdom of God? It is because they are the ones who outwardly deserve it the least. That only the lowly who have achieved nothing of merit enters the kingdom than infants and young children. 
No one has achieved less morally and religiously than them. No one has less knowledge of obedience to the law or devotion to God. Thus, infants perfectly illustrate the principle that God saves sinners apart from their achievements. It is by grace alone that you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. I want that to sink in. I've preached for a long time on performance-based Christianity, and it has so infiltrated the church. We have to get back to the place that it's by grace alone. We have to get back that. And the other side is this, is one thing that has kept people away from the Lord is that they feel the depth of that unworthiness, and it becomes abusive to them. It becomes abusive, and it becomes a leader in their life. That's the other side of the spectrum, is the fact that, that I am not deserving of grace because I, I bring nothing to the table. In fact, I bring negativism to the table in my own life. Yes, yeah, it really is the two spectrums of pride. Pride is I'm worthy of getting into the kingdom of heaven because of what I've done. The other spectrum side of it is I am unworthy to get in because of I am a low nothingness. It's actually a, a sham against God. You're actually saying, God, you made a mistake in creating. You to get in your minds this, just this picture of, in, you know, for a parent, you're a little child. You're infant in your arms. Some of that's more real today as we have had ch children born uh, to us. And, uh, and so we have little babies in arms. But some of us are removed from that by a lot of years. And uh, remember that little child in your arm. Remember um, that they could really do nothing. They were totally dependent on you as a parent. They were totally dependent on, on, on your... Um, Willingness and ability to care for them and to provide a, a life for them, to sustain their life. And don't forget that Jesus was in the same place. The creator of all the universe became a child in, in the arms of a mother and a stepfather and was dependent on them for the sustaining of his life. And this is the picture as these little children come forward. The scene opens up with parents bringing their children to Jesus for a blessing. Why? That was a Jewish practice to bring their children to the rabbi to be blessed. And there's a reason for that. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the heart of God for their children. And I, there, there's several passages to go to, but, but there was two passages that really uh, jumped out. One was Ezekiel 16. And Ezekiel, I want you to just hear this, uh, because I think it is every single one of us uh, in this world, if we look at it uh, from, a, from a spiritual standpoint, Ezekiel 16, 4 through 7 says these words about Israel. And this was the picture that was above them as they thought about their own children. It said, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbled, 
rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. And God saw that. And God loved. Says in verse 6, Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Live. And so God, under, God's picture of caring for Israel as an infant is the same picture today as you are sitting amongst us here. That's the compassion that he has for you. But also God knew what was happening in this world. He knew uh, the hatred uh, that was against his children and, the, and even within his own children in the midst of Israel's own rebellion against him. In verse 20 of that same chapter, it says this, And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? Meaning, meaning your rebellion against me, your hatred of me, was that not enough, your adultery? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. And so the parents were coming to Jesus, their rabbi, and having him bless them. Having them bless them. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in more detail. So this is happening, and what happens? The disciples rebuke them. It's, it's an, it's an, it, the reason they rebuked was because they were taught by the Pharisees that a person's value was planted in a person's ability to contribute to the religious order. It's kind of like a church that says, your, your worthiness of worship here is your amount of tithing that you give to this church. How stupid. Your worthiness of sitting in this, your worthiness of worshiping together is because God is the one who created you. So your worth comes from the fact you were created by God. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we even look in the mirror and see ourselves not worthy because we don't realize. We don't know the God who created us and we don't know how much value he has placed on our life. We've allowed the world to put value on our life instead of the character of God and his love for us. And so, and so the disciples were just acting out of their training and they were rebuking. Um, because of this reason. They knew they were on an important mission. They knew what was happening, that, that it was highly important. And so they were trying to clear the distractions away from Jesus so that he could focus. Now, they didn't know what was really happening, but they knew from Mark 9, 32, it says that, and they were on their way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed 
as they followed, they were afraid. What happened was, as Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem, his, change, his face changed. His face changed. He became determined to not have anything change his mind. He was going to Jerusalem. He knew what his purpose was. Have you, have you received that in your own heart? Do you, do you know what God's purpose is for your life? Have you absolutely set yourself in place to walk forward in what God's calling you to, not to please people, not to, not to be distracted by people, but to do what he's calling you to do no matter what the cost? That's what Jesus was. It, it, it changed so much that his disciples knew two things. They knew the importance of what, they were, what the mission they were on, and they knew that it had changed Jesus to the point that he was different. He was different. And so, um, and so they were determining Jesus' agenda for him and, um, and making sure... Uh, that they were paving the way for whatever was coming. Uh, the word rebuke means that the disciples were irritated and they were in a constant state of telling the parents, get away from him, stay away from him, get away from Jesus. How have you determined what's important and who is important enough to disrupt your day? How have you made that determination in your life? Does the Spirit of God have enough to say over your life that he can bring to you even what seems to be ins ins insignificant in your life? Or what you might be concerned about as a distraction? Does the Spirit have enough to say, no, this is important to me? I can determine your moment. I can determine your direction. It is, it is difficult in a world, a materialistic world, that determines that our life purpose is to make money and to, to set a life up on this world instead of following the Lord in the way of the Lord. I heard this last week that a major bank closed in California. In fact, I talked to somebody and they said that we're going to be making some purchases a week in light of that because we feel it's going to be an effect across this country. You do know that's where we're headed, right? Right? I mean, we have to. We have to head in that direction. And so just keep the main thing the main thing, people. And uh, that is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples in, in a way that was shocking. And so they're saying, get away from Jesus. And he, it says here in verse 16 that Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In Mark 10, 14, it says that Jesus was indignant, meaning he was angry, irate, and outraged. What was Jesus angry about? About, let them come to me and do not hinder them. Do not hinder them. You got to understand something. And for some of you that are, are here, you're new, um, you, um, you, 
you maybe have not yet come to the place where Jesus Christ has become your Lord and Savior, you have to understand this clearly. The gospel proclaims that the access to God, the Father, is free and open through Jesus Christ, his Son. Period. The gospel is free. The access to the Father is free through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son. Unhindered. And if you are sitting back and going, yeah, I'm not sure about this yet, don't hinder yourself. It's the greatest place in the face of this earth. Do not let anything hinder. Do not let, somebody talked earlier about a hardened heart. Do not let your heart be hardened today. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, free and unhindered. It is the greatest direction in a human's life. But the interesting thing is that human contrived religion can get in the way. When man sets the bar for entrance and the entrance exam to heaven, God is angry, and we need to know that. We need to know that. In Matthew 23, Jesus is the most irate dialogue concerning hypocrisy found in Jewish religion. There are seven woes that Jesus says against uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says this in 13. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor do you let any of those enter who are trying what in our theology or our religious practices do we have in place that is a hindrance to the unsaved? I think there's two biggest hindrances. First, it's the gospel of the unchanged life. It is a person who says that I believe Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, but their life is no different than it ever was. I believe that is, is number one. If you're claiming Jesus Christ in your life today, then let it be seen in the walk that you are walking. It is not that you go with the current of culture. It's actually that you turn around and you go against the current of culture. The second thing is that is um, a false gospel um, is um, a gospel of works that I have done these things and that I deserve to be in because I go to church, because I do all these good things and missions, I give money, I give God, on and on and on it goes. I think that is so oppressive to the movement of Christianity. I often think about the fact that the Apostle Paul called to be a, uh, an evangelist to the world spent most of his time in jail. It just blows my mind away. And yet that is how God moved the word and that we would not even have a biggest portion of our newest New Testament if it wasn't for that reality. And he accepted it for what it was. He didn't fight it. Two weeks ago, I don't know if my sister's here or not. Two weeks ago, we had UKEN Ministries. And, uh, and we ended up, I ended up going with Julie LeFevre. And Julie is a product of this neighborhood. She grew up here. 
She, uh, she grew up on the streets here. She knows how to talk the talk. And so we went up to this apartment and knocked on the door. And, uh, and a lady came out, uh, African-American lady came out. And I, being kind of an exuberant guy, um, you know, fighting through my introvertedness, I began talking first. And, uh, and as I talked, both Julie and I noticed that this woman's irritation level just raised. It doesn't surprise you. <laughs> it just raised. And so I just, I looked at Julie and I shut up. And Julie began to talk. And she starts talking in this street talk. And all of a sudden, no, listen to me. All of a sudden, this woman melts. And by the time Julie was done, they were holding hands and praying with each other. I, praise Jesus. We don't need Wayne, we need Jesus. <laughs> but, but the whole thing is that we can't let anything hinder the gospel. Even if it's a, you know, and, and you get it, right? She was a little bit prejudiced against a gray-haired, white, male pastor. <laughs> check, 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 check. Now, in Jesus Christ, there's no prejudice. It's the only place it's found on the earth. Only place on this earth. I hope and pray that someday, if, she, if, if God draws her to us, that she'll worship in here and she'll realize that her and I are one in Jesus. But don't let anything hinder. But what is so important to Jesus that he literally got into the faces of his disciples and said, stop. It is, I read part of the 16th verse, but let me read that again. It says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? First of all, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Huh. Well, what does that mean? And then he says, truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Huh. I don't know if you've spent time thinking about this. I have a little bit. The kingdom of God belonging to such these is a phrase talking about the condition of the heart of the owner. And and receiving the kingdom of God like a little child is the same thing that Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John, where he talks about being born again. He was not talking about entering the womb of the mother again, but that the action of belief that becomes the faith to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I just, as, I, as I was studying, I was thinking to myself this. How many adults have said to me at times, I wish that I could be like a little child again. I just, right? Oh, I got a lot, of, a lot of, out of that. But just to be that, that, right, John, doing frogs in the backyard of your house um, and, and Tim and I uh, playing, um, playing out back of his greenhouse and just, you know, that freedom you know, there was, a, I would hang with my friends in, on a Friday night and sleigh overnight, and we would go out and get supplies. Did you ever do that? It's like getting a, a, a two-liter bottle of Coke and, and, and munchies, and you go back to the house, 
and you just sit and you eat. We all call that getting supplies. And, um, but just that freedom of being a child, what was it? What was it? You, you were in a father's and mother's home where you were taken care of. You didn't have to worry about the finances. You were, um, you were fed. Uh, you, you were given clothes even when you didn't want to have them. Um, do, you, do you remember the corduroys? You remember the corduroy pants? I never wanted corduroy pants. My mom would buy them. She thought they were the coolest looking pants. It's like, Mom, people can hear me walking down the aisle. They stop it. I don't want corduroy pants. But she bought them. My mom said for my ninth grade graduation that I had picked out material that was chartreuse orange. It made me look like I was a son walking down the aisle. Everybody else was in darker clothes. I was in this brilliant chartreuse orange suit. She said, oh, no, you picked that material out. Mom, I would have never done that. But she did. But being a child, not having all those concerns. And you know what? I wonder, I wonder, isn't that what God wants for us? Isn't that what he really wants for us? So that we live such a life so free of worry and concern that we literally live every day with the freedom of daddy's taking care of me. Now, I understand that in this place, there are some fathers that didn't do a great job. And even by saying that statement, you may kind of feel a bit of a shudder of, well, my dad didn't do that. And I, I just want a voice from front of this room. I, I am so sorry. That's not what God's intent for your father was. God's intent for your father was to love you, to walk with you, to care for you, and to support you, and to be a reflection of him to you. But not every father was that way. But I believe that's what he wants. And so as we, as we walk forward together, I just want you to think about growing up into the child of God through faith in Christ. Now, I need to make a distinction. I'm not talking about being childish. I'm talking about being childlike. What's it like to be childish? <laughs> Grunt temper tantrums. Yes, girl, were you reading notes or what? <laughs> but that's right. Just fits of yelling, fits of I'm not getting what I want, crying out. Absolutely. Stop it. That's childish. That's childish. Second, blaming. Never taking personal responsibility. You remember when your parents you used to fight with your siblings and your mom and dad would say, now you go to your brother or your sister and you tell them you're sorry. And so you went up and you said, I'm sorry. They're really hoping that the frequency of that would be at some point in time that you'd get it and you'd actually take responsibility for the things that you do. The third is lies. When life gets uncomfortable and lies become easy, to an ease out of the reality, no longer the picture on me. It is amazing how much lying has increased in our world today. The, third, the fourth is name-calling, tactics of intimidation to avoid the truth of the problem, they attack the person. 
One, probably one of the number one reasons in marital conflicts is the fact that you get off the subject of what you're really dealing with and you begin to put down the other person to make sure that you get your place. Um, impulsivity or poor impulse control. They act without thinking about possible consequences. My, my dad would always say, Wayne, think before you do. Still can struggle with that at times. Uh, six, the se- becoming the center of attention. They need to be heard by everyone at the cost of isolating everyone else. Uh, you remember the class clown? Yeah, just me. It's about me. Seventh, bullying. Using physical or psychological strength to intimidate or destroy another person. Eight, narcissism. The un- un- the uh, Inability to look beyond oneself to the needs of others. It's all about me. The focus is about me. Um, And I talked about that some time ago, about the fact, I think it was in 2014, that there were, um, what, 92 billion selfies that were taken. Just a growing uh, narcissism that has grown out of that. Number nine, immature defenses, building up walls of protection to ensure safety of emotion, heart, not getting hurt. Also can be used in attack mode to protect from anyone with a different point of view. Denial can be used when someone said um, uh, that they, had, they were accused of saying something. They said, I didn't say that even though they did. It's immature. Take responsibility. And then finally, Um, No observing ego or no learning from mistakes. The fact that you continue to do over and over and over again the same thing, unable to learn from your mistakes. And then using the blame action to say, well, I only did it because you. This has become a huge issue. Do you know it's a problem when an adult acts childish? You know how much trouble that causes? I worked at um, a place called um, Wedgwood Christian Youth Services. And we had children that were taken off the street that would live with us and, um, uh, because they had nowhere else to go. Um, I remember one, uh, one uh, uh, young person that came to us and there was a special note in, in the book that said, if you see anybody that looks suspicious on campus, um, report it immediately and call the police. Why? Because this person, this young person, stole um, $10,000 from a drug dealer, and there's a hit on this person's life, and so there are, there are people looking to kill him. Um, but the one that I remember the most that really I thought of here was the fact we had a 17-year-old young man who... Um, what we call at Wedgwood went off. So he went off into irate and began to throw pool balls and hit people with cue sticks. And so three of us staff went to intervene. Now we've been taught how to do this. One staff grabs one arm, the other staff grabs the other arm, and then the one staff grabs the back two legs. We lay them gently down using our knees, gently down on the ground. We keep the arms behind them and the legs tied together so they can't move. During this time, I was called a whole lot of names, but never once Wayne. <laughs> Not once. I, was, I, I, I heard them, this person say, call upon Satan to come against us and destroy us. 
And um, basically, they were having a right outburst. So we had a way to deal with this. Once we got them calm enough, we would literally do a carry. We would carry them into a room which had an electronic door that would lock automatically. And we carried into the back corner. And, uh, and one by one, the people would leave until the last one who was holding the arms up uh, then would back out. And a lot of times, the, the, the young person would turn and try to attack the person. And so you're running out the door, slamming the electronic door shut, locking it, and then giving them commands to sit in the corner, and then you'd open the door back up again. All this because we, in, our, in our society, we have been taught to be childish. I don't think the Simpsons have helped us. I, I think there's a whole lot of shows where it looks like the children are more in control than the adults. Why is that? Because society has seen adults as being childish. And so as you think about this, what are the qualities of being childlike? First is that to be childlike is that you trust easy. Second is that you are innocent, sweet, simple, and pure. Your hearts are open. Third, you're honest. You're not a liar. You're not trying to live a false life. Third, fourth, is that you're full of energy. Full of energy, excitement, enthusiasm. This, there's hope in your life that's moving you forward. And fifth, you're curious about new things. As I thought about being childlike, I thought about I used to take my son fishing on bass opener and uh, we wanted to be there as soon as the as the light hit and so we would go to Guernsey Lake which was uh, south of Gun Lake and I would drive the van off into the woods and we would sleep overnight in the woods with the boat on a trailer and uh, and then we would get up in the morning and go fishing right at the right at the crack of dawn well you know what happened two things first of all me never slept one wink that whole night. I was on guard making sure nobody was going to come against us. My son slept like a baby. So I got the chance to just listen to his smooth rhythm of breathing all night long. And why is that? Because he trusted his father. He trusted that he'd be taken care of. And so, childish, childlike, And so we go back to the thought of the kingdom of God belongs to such as these and that everybody must receive the kingdom of God like a little child. What's important about these? First of all, belonging is that the open, innocent heart that has been transformed by the renewed likeness of God through faith in Jesus. Psalm 17, 15 says, For as for me, I call... call, I behold your face in righteousness. When I awake... I shall be satisfied with your likeness. When we become a believer, we are like Jesus Christ. We are little Christians. Our life changes into the likeness of Christ. Has that happened? if, If you're the same person you were a year ago, you're not changed. Because the likeness of Jesus Christ is always continually conforming to the characters of God. That's what what it looks like in regards to the fact that we're growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control because we're continually moving into the likeness of God. Has that happened? If not, you don't belong to the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God rules in your heart to change you and continually change you and continually grow you into his likeness. I am just satisfied with the likeness of God. Is that your life? Is that my life? That's belonging. Second, receiving. The receiving of the kingdom of God is living out that life on a daily basis. If you're not walking in it, you haven't received it. If you're continuing to walk into sin, unrepentedly, listen to me, because the Bible says this, that the righteous man falls seven times, but each time he gets up, the wicked falls and it turns to calamity. If you're continually uncaring and sinning without repenting, are you really walking in likeness? 1 John 6, 2, uh, oh, excuse me, 1 John 2, verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Is your love growing? Is it? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you caring and walking as a child of God before him? Not childish, but childlike so that you can live an unshackled life in this world. You have to understand your willingness to allow sin to rule over your life. Your willingness to say no to God's plan and purpose in your life is a shackle. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives, and he wants us to live it out. And he did not make a mistake. He did not. In every one of your cases, no matter what the world says, no matter how you feel like you fit in, he did not make a mistake. You're perfectly the way that he wants you to, not unnecessarily in your actions, but in the very being of who you are. He made you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He wants you to trust free. He wants you to be innocent, sweet, and pure. He wants you to be honest in your life. He wants you to live full of energy and excitement, enthusiasm for the life he's given you because of hope. And he wants you to live curious, seeking him out with all your heart. And he's made himself findable. I had made a request before... um, this service, if I could, uh, if I could hold a precious little child, and so, um, can I borrow Sela for a moment? Thank you. This is Sela Harrison. Isn't she precious? It, you know, it just, it's amazing uh, to me that uh, 
uh, of, of God's miraculous hand and how he creates children. And I mean, think about this. I mean, look at the fingers, all five on one hand. Beautiful little blue eyes. Just, I, I, I learned how to carry her from her father, so I do it right. But this is Selah. This is what God, how God wants you to live, how she's living right now. And praise God, she's not crying. Um, <laughs> but this is how he wants you to live, knowing that you're in his arms, knowing that you're supported. I'm not going to let Selah fall. I'm not going to do it. Her life is precious to me. How much more is your life precious to God? But I want to challenge you something. Why I've got Selah in my arms is this reason. Have you ever asked yourself, why is there so much attack against children? Why abortion, self-medical mutilation, public education that gives, not only gives condoms away, but teaches, will teach Selah that she's not really a girl. She could be anything she wants to be. And, um, and that... Uh, Human trafficking, hopelessness, family abuse, on and on the story. Do you ever ask yourself why that happens? Why all the attack against these beautiful little children? And why did the parents run to Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them and bless her? Why? There's a story which I think is really, really interesting from Scripture. It happens to have the same name as this little one has in her mother. There was a woman by the name of Hannah, and she couldn't have children. And so she cried out to God for a child. But did you, what is her sister's name? I forget. What is Hannah's sister's name? So say it? Yes. What was, what was their relationship like? hated each other, attacked each other. I want, I, want you to, I want you to think about this. It wasn't just physical. Polygamy is wrong anyways. The Bible does not promote polygamy. But the actual attack was not just physical. It was spiritual. You ever think about that? It was spiritual. Now, how do I know that? What if Hannah did not have a baby? Who wouldn't have been born? Samuel. If Samuel had not been born, what would not have happened? Yes, he would not have anointing of the king. You see, the attack against children is always about the fact of the attack against the covenant of God. The covenant of God. Your children were born on purpose because God desires his covenant to go through generation to generation. How do I know this? Because the Bible says, the Bible says in Malachi 2, why, why should you be faithful to your, to your married spouse? Because the Holy One desires holy offspring. Now does that mean that every child is saved? No, but what happens in, in a family that is a believing family, they create a holy shroud that then these beautiful little children, and I know Stephen and Hannah are going to grow 
Sela up to know Jesus Christ. And in that context, prayerfully, by the grace of God, Hannah will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Selah. Selah. Yeah, her too. Her too. It is the attack against the, the children that attempts to stop the covenant. Do you get that? Even today, it is the forwarding covenant of a God who says, I am the God over all the generations. But if Hitler could have killed off all the generations of children, he believed he could have stopped the covenant of God. Abortion today, main purpose, underneath all the hey, the woman's health situation, all that, abortion is to kill the covenant of God. If you kill the children, then he cannot witness to the next generation. It's spiritual warfare that's against our children. That's why when the people were cut to the heart in Acts 2 by the gospel and they asked what could they do, he, Peter said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, not born yet. Why? How could he say that? You know, people have asked the, the, the Christian Reformed Church and the Catholic Church for a long time, how can you baptize children? Do you realize it has nothing to do with, with the salvation of the person? It has everything to do with the believing in the covenant of God being passed down through the generations. And parents are flocking to make sure Jesus Christ is blessing their children. That's what it's about. That is what it's about. And the church gets the opportunity to say, yes, we will stand by you and help you raise your children. How many of you went to church uh, for a while and then you were gone from your church and you had no covering over your children and your children took off and did things that are crazy and else, you know, just, you know, my, my daughter, she's out there. The evil one wants to kill her. Why? Because he wants to stop the covenant that was promised over top of my daughter. And you, you people who have run away from God, that's the point. The point of your running away is that, is that God wants to stop the covenant. And I know some of you might be first-time believers in your family. Think about, no, no, think about the awesomeness of that. Think about that. God has entrusted you with the covenant. And you get to become the broken chain of the evil that's been in your heredity, and you get to have a whole new chain by the covenant of Jesus Christ and bring the gospel to everybody, your children first. Think about that. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, Noah. Yeah, the boy's going to build a boat. I don't know where, but he'll build a boat somewhere. Awesome. You are a chain breaker. And Noah... You know, you look at Noah. I'm just talking to you because I love you. Noah has got a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. Think about that set on fire by Jesus Christ. Whoa, he'd be unstoppable. We're looking at the next Billy Graham. Oh, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, he'd be, instead of running up front of here to get away from you, he'd be running up to tell people about Jesus. I, but people of God, let's make it personal. I know, John, that we've had trouble with our kids. I get that. But the, 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 the war behind it is the fact that you adopted six children, three of your own, and God intended that the covenant would go through ch- children from India and children from other countries so that his covenant could go forward. I get it. It's a war. And you and I get to be the dads that fight for our children. People of God, this is... And I want you to think about this. Isaiah 7 says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Isaiah 9 says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Isaiah 11 says the wolf will lay down with the lamb and the leopard will lay down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. Why? Because children are important to God. Because here is the covenant of God from generation to generation to generation. Do you get it? It's my prayer that as Jesus met the children, and, did, and asked his disciples not to hinder them from coming, that you as a parent will see your job as not putting any hindrance in the way of the gospel to your children and that the generations to come will come to know Jesus Christ because you were faithful to bring your children up in the Lord. And yes, we as a church will stand alongside you. We'll stand alongside you. Does it make sense? You get, you're hearing this in your heart? Me too. Me too. Selah has just kind of set it off for me too. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Stand with me as we pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys as I pray. If you are standing next uh, to a child right now, yes, in the womb too. If you're standing next to a child, will you lay your hand on that child right now? I'm going to let the father of this one lay his hands on his child. That's appropriate. Oh, she was so good. People of God, if there's a child around you, lay a hand on them. And let's bless them as a church. Heavenly Father, as we have been given the picture of Jesus Christ, blessing the children, stopping a religious construct from getting in the way and hindering uh, children, Lord, we also, we just, we just lay our hands on these children. We ask that, Father, that you will bless and strengthen them and that, Lord, they will grow up in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that mom and dad or mom or dad will, will run to you so that you will bless their children and that, Father, that the, that the covenant, the covenant of God The coming of Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice lamb, laying down his life willingly, obedience to his father, dying on a cross, arising from the grave three days later to show that the covenant is not only the death of our sin, but also the life, the eternal life of our life. And that in that, There is a true reality that lives out. Father, I just pray over these parents, and I know right now, I know myself, 
that there are grandparents that are even thinking about their grandchildren right now. And I just pray over them. I pray that, Father, that, that the covenant of the gospel will not be hindered, but that in our generation, that we as parents will lift up the standard of Jesus Christ among us, will lift up the gospel in our homes and outside, and that, Father, people will come to know the one who says that, he, that this promise is for you and your children and for those far off until the day that Jesus Christ comes back again. Lord, let that be in my life. Let that be in all of our lives. And may our hearts be moved to follow you. Thank you for this picture. Jesus, thank you for taking time for the insignificant ones so that you can show us that even though there's times that we look at our lives and see them as insignificant, you, the most significant one, sees us in significant eyes. We love you. Thank you for this time. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.